Would you open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 7? Last week we uh, did this first encounter that Moses and Aaron have with Pharaoh. You remember that they did the sign of the snakes and the staff? Moses cast down his staff, and that staff ate the snakes. And so that was just a preliminary event to what's about to happen. We're about to get into the ten plagues. Now, I had to think hard about how to break this down. Um, There's a bunch of different ways to do this. We could have done ten sermons, but I felt like that was a little bit too much. And so um, we could have done one, but I felt like that wasn't enough. But I think the text presents a pretty clear way to handle this and to approach this. Um, so I, I posted this online, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it with the sermon when I post that later. But uh, there's a, a plague chart on the website if you want to look at that. But the main thing I want you to get is that the first nine plagues happen in three cycles of three. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through these nine plagues over three weeks. We're going to deal with three at a time because the text presents them in that way. So that also means... We'll be working through fairly large uh, chunks of scripture. Today it's 31 verses. So to help us keep track of everything, I'm not going to read everything all at once. I'm going to deviate from my normal practice there. And we'll read as we go. So keep your Bibles open so that you can keep up. Don't close your Bibles. As today we consider the question of Pharaoh's hard heart. In each of the three plagues we look at today, there's a note, and this is, it actually goes through all the plagues, but there's a note about the statement of Pharaoh's heart, about the state of his heart. That should serve as a warning to us. Like Pharaoh, our hearts are prone to grow hard, and they're prone to grow callous, but we're called to have soft hearts, hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. And so the question we're asking today is, how are our hearts hardened? What's the cause of that, and how do we avoid it? How are our hearts hardened, and how can we avoid that? So let's consider that under three headings. First, our hearts are hardened by deceit. Second, our hearts are hardened by relief. And third, our hearts are hardened by repetition. I tried to get that one to work, but I couldn't couldn't do it. So we'll have to deal with that. Deceit, relief, and repetition. First, our hearts are hardened by deceit. Let's pick up together in chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all the pools of water, so that they may become blood. 
And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh. And in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And so it begins. The first plague. In verse 14, the Lord tells, begins by telling Moses what to do. So in each of the three cycles, we have a set of three. Moses is supposed to meet Pharaoh in the morning at the beginning of each of these cycles by the water. But there is a little wrinkle in this first plague. If you're using the King James Version, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened in verse 14. My ESB follows that as well. But it's actually a different word than is what's used for hardened or Pharaoh's hard heart throughout this whole passage. The word here is kabod. The most literal translation of that is heavy, and so some of your translations may go with stubborn or something like that. And so part of what it's conveying there is that Pharaoh's heart is unmoving and unyielding. But it's also conveying the state of his soul. You may have heard this story before, but there's this idea in Egyptian, um, Egyptian myth that when you come before God, you, you die, you come before the gods, and you come into this courtroom and there's a scale. And what, what happens is the god Anubis takes your heart and places your scale, places your heart on the scale next to a feather. And if your heart is heavy, heavier than the feather, then this other god, Amit, will consign your soul to eternal torment by eating your heart. And so there's this Egyptian mythology in the background. Moses, of course, knows this story. He's raised in the system, and so he seems to be intentionally using this Egyptian figure of speech, this Egyptian figure of speech to explain what's about to happen, to characterize Pharaoh. Pharaoh is one whose sins are about to be revealed. His heart is heavy and burdened down with sin. Not against the feather of Ma'at, the Egyptian god, but against the righteousness of Yahweh, the one true God. There's another notable thing happening here. You may remember that the last time the Nile was mentioned was in chapter 2, when the previous Pharaoh had ordered the Hebrew babies to be thrown into the Nile, and when Moses was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. So we ought to be thinking about how those two episodes compare. You've had this break from the Nile, and it's coming back. Pharaoh's daughter was presented with a choice at the banks of the Nile, at the edge of the water, to either to kill or to save Moses. And this new Pharaoh is presented with the same choice. He can let the people go, he can save them, release them, or he can continue to oppress them. And so the blood and the water is a sign to Pharaoh. It's a reminder of Israel's oppression. His father, the previous Pharaoh, had filled the Nile with blood himself by throwing these babies in. And now God is simply making that clear. He's presenting a reality before him. It's as if the blood of the slaughtered children are rising up to meet Pharaoh. And the Egyptians are forced to drink the cup of wrath they filled. This is an interesting passage in Revelation that gets the same theme across. It says, The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. 
For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And so the Egyptians have received just judgment for their evil, for putting these children in the river. Furthermore, the blood stinks, which is a reminder of how the Hebrews stunk before him in chapter 5. We've, so we've moved from these metaphorical things, these symbolic things, and we have moved to a real sign coming up before Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh has a choice now. How does he respond? We'll look at verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So notice what happens. When the magicians in Egypt are able to replicate the sign, Pharaoh hardens his heart, turns around, and goes into his house. He is, he's been fooled by the magicians into thinking that he can just go away, he, he can just leave the water, go up into his palace, and that everything's going to be okay. And for a while it is. His, his people may be digging along the Nile, but he's got servants, he's got slaves that can do that and can bring him water. And so he's thinking, I can just go and sit in my house and this whole thing's going to blow over. It's going to be no big deal because my magicians, my servants are on top of it. And so his heart is hardened. You know, God doesn't hide from us. Part of his character is to reveal himself to us. It's part of his nature. We serve a God who speaks. But it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves into listening to other voices. You know, we, we have our own magicians who do miracles and distract us. They may not do, be doing that literally. They're more subtle than that, but it really is magic. We have magic news commentators, politicians. They can take any, any situation and spin it into their favor. We have false teachers who can take a few verses, pluck them out of the Bible, put them together, and twist them to say whatever gets them more followers and gets them more money and more fame. We have our own friends and our own family who convince us that what we're really doing is okay. As long as we're happy and as long as we feel good about it, then it's fine. But you need to realize that every time you listen to one of those voices in rejection of God's voice, your heart is becoming callous. You're being deceived by the ways of the world. And that's why Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need to be discerning. We need to heed the word of God first before listening to anyone else. And I'm talking in terms of priority, but that may mean that the first thing you do in the morning is get a healthy dose of Bible. We can be deceived by the ways of this world, by the words of this world. And our hearts are hardened by that deceit. So seek to know true wisdom in God's word. Second, our hearts are hardened by relief. Let's pick up chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed 
and into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. And the frogs which shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So notice the difference here. The first time Moses goes out to meet Pharaoh by the water, but now he's going up into Pharaoh's house where he's hiding. That's Pharaoh's hiding from this river, from the blood. But that's not going to work because the river is about to come up to him. Notice where these frogs are coming from. They're coming up out of the water. It's, like a, it's almost like a flood. The river is escaping the borders with these frogs. Also pay attention to the language being used here. Verse 3 tells us that the Nile will swarm or teem with frogs. And that the frogs will rise up against Pharaoh. That's the same language used in chapter 1. The Hebrews were swarming and multiplying abundantly. And the previous Pharaoh was worried that they were going to rise up against him. Well, now the frogs are a picture of that. God himself, through these plagues, is rising up, coming up against Pharaoh. And of course, the magicians are able to replicate this. That fooled Pharaoh last time, but he's learning. Look at verse 8. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's changed his tune. In verse 8, it looks like he might be genuinely repentant. He's asking Moses to pray for him. And that's a, that's a big step for someone like Pharaoh, who just a few days earlier was rejecting God, rejecting Moses. And what's more, God actually does what Moses asks According to Pharaoh's word, according to Moses' word, he removes the frogs. Although, just once again, like the blood, the frogs stink. But of course, we know how this story goes. We've got eight more plagues to go. And so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's repentance only lasts long enough for the crisis to pass. Verse 15 says that when Pharaoh saw there was a respite or a relief, he hardened his heart once more. Now, do you know anybody with this attitude? Or maybe you have this attitude. This is a uniquely pernicious problem because it can feel like we're doing the right thing. When crisis comes, it, it, it's easy to turn to God for help. And that's especially true when it's clear that he's the only one who can really do anything. But the question is, how do you respond when relief comes? Pharaoh, when he saw that everything was good, 
He took that as an opportunity to go back to his old ways. And, and you've seen people like this before. Maybe it's been you. When everything's falling apart, they're, they're worshiping with the church every week. They're wearing their Bible out. They've got a, a new prayer journal they're keeping. They're committed to doing these outward signs because they think that that's what this whole thing is about. If I just do enough spiritual stuff, that I'll get what I want. Then when they do get what they want, it's all over. They're back in the deer stand or at brunch on Sunday, and the Bible gets replaced by Facebook or Netflix. But now, on the other side of that, they feel good about themselves because they have a bank of, of spiritual stuff that they can coast on until the next crisis. And every time that happens, the heart gets harder and harder and harder. When we only turn to God for crisis and for relief from pain and suffering, when we turn away later, our hearts are hardened. Our hearts are hardened by relief. So your call is to remain persistent in all conditions of life. Third, our hearts are hardened by repetition. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now the, the distinct thing about the third plague, and also the sixth and the ninth plague, the third in the cycle, is that there's no warning. Pharaoh is warned in the first and second, but in the third, he gets no warning. Why is that? Well, I think it's important that we understand the biblical relationship between signs and God's word. Throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, whenever we get sign acts like this, they have some consistent features across all of them. First, they're always intended to confirm and establish the word of God. So if you read through the Bible and make a list of every miracle in the Bible, you'll find that those miracles are always attached to the ministry of a prophet or an apostle. They serve to validate the source of that prophet or apostle's words. So that's why we don't see people running around doing miracles today. We have access to the full revelation of God in Scripture. And we don't need any additional revelation, and so we don't need any additional confirmation. Now, to be, I'm not saying that God doesn't intervene in the world. He absolutely does. But we don't have individual people performing miracles to validate uh, their claims. By the way, if anyone tells you that they can perform miracles, I would be very suspicious and test their claims against Scripture. But also, miracles in Scripture are usually given with an explanation of why they're happening. So before Moses turned the water into blood, he told Pharaoh why. He said, so that you will know that the Lord is God. And we're told why it happened. But in this third plague, there's no explanation. That's a sign of judgment. He's giving Pharaoh over to the hardness of his heart. That's the same reason, by the way, that Jesus speaks in parables. In Matthew 13, this is what Jesus says. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. So if you're wondering why, he's telling you. 
Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, it says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, or hard. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus, in the Gospels, is speaking in parables because he's getting ready to judge Israel. It's a way to sift people. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will respond. And those that do not will be subject to judgment. The same thing is happening here in Exodus 8. Moses has explained all of these signs and all these miracles to Pharaoh, but he hasn't listened. And so God, preparing to judge Pharaoh, has stopped giving an explanation. Now, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks, God's not done talking to Pharaoh, but his purpose changes throughout the ten plagues. And so Pharaoh, at this point, should know that the Lord is God. But he, he has rejected, and he's turned away, and he's hardened his heart. So the gnats come without warning. And just so you know, they're biting gnats. And every time the wind blows and picks up dust... They multiply from the ground. And here we have another change from the previous plagues because the magicians are unable to replicate this one. Now, don't be fooled because when we see the magicians replicating the first two plagues, it's not like they're actually keeping up with Moses. Moses had turned all the water in Egypt into blood. And so in order to replicate this plague, they had to have a servant go out beside the river and dig up just a little bit of water that they turned into blood. The same thing with the frogs. Frogs were already coming out of every body of water across all of Egypt. And so the magicians didn't really have much room to work with. They're doing small-scale copies of what Moses is doing. There's no way they can keep up with him. But in the third plague, after being outpaced from the very start, they finally figured out that they have lost. And by the way, this is the last time that we see the magicians really trying to be successful. We're not a third of the way in and they've already given up. But notice what they say. They say, this is the finger of God. Now that phrase reappears in Exodus 30 when Moses receives the tabernacle. But you'll remember that in Exodus 6, God tells Moses that he will redeem his people with an outstretched arm. The magicians understand what's about to happen. This is only the beginning. The plagues are just a small taste of God's wrath. It's just the power in the tip of his finger that's touching them. But something more is coming, something heavier, something more violent, something more powerful is on its way. And so at this point, the magicians get it. They understand what's about to happen. But Pharaoh doesn't. His heart remains hard. It's calloused. He has steadily been rejecting the will of God. And we actually find that already in this third plague, he's, he's crossed a point of no return. In his first epistle, the Apostle John talks about the sin that leads to death. And he's talking about a repeated, willful rejection of God. And that is exactly what Pharaoh has done. So Pharaoh has been left without warning. But by God's grace, his recalcitrance, his callousness to God's will serves as a warning to us. 
It's a warning to repent now. If you're persisting in rejection of God, you never know when you will cross that threshold. You'll never know when your time is up, so the time is now. As the psalmist reminds us, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today, not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, today. Our hearts are hardened by repetition, so turn to God now before time runs out. I've mentioned this already, but in Deuteronomy chapter 10, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses giving final instructions to the people that prepared to enter the, the land, and his final speeches, he actually references Pharaoh, references this hardening, and he says to the people of Israel to circumcise their hearts, to be no longer stubborn or hard. If your heart is hard, if your heart is callous, Moses says we need to remove that hardness. We need to cut away that which blinds us to the word of God. And then again in Deuteronomy 30, he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So the question is, would you belong to God? Is that what you desire? If so, then he must remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He must cut away what is old and hard in you and make you new and receptive to his word. So don't fall for the tricks. Don't rejoice in the things of this life. Don't be obstinate. Instead, take heed to the words of the book of Hebrews. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Believer, harden not your hearts, as long as it is today. Hold fast to the faith once delivered to the saints, that Christ Jesus died and rose again on the third day for our salvation. This is the promise we have. It's the promise that God calls us to, to repent and believe in him with soft hearts responsive to his will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.